You're listening to our Great Divorce Podcast, where we walk through one of C.S. Lewis's greatest works and discuss practically what it means for our lives today. This podcast was produced by St. Andrew in Plano, Texas. Theme song you're hearing is Shadow to Sunlight by Micah Peacock. For more information about our church and the different ministries we provide, or to find other podcasts we have produced, we invite you to visit standrewumc.org or join us for worship on Sunday mornings. Chapter 8 continues with the reeling of the narrator, the main character, still struggling with, was the guy in the last chapter right? Is this whole thing propaganda? What can actually happen? He says, a terrible explanation came to my mind. How if this whole trip were allowed the ghosts merely to mock them? What if this excursion from hell into heaven is not actually because there's a chance of staying in heaven? but just for the pure entertainment of the gods or the kind of solid people in heaven. He actually references, I thought of how the gods had punished Tantalus. Tantalus is one of the Greek mythology characters who was under a fruit tree, but couldn't eat the fruit and was in water, but was parched. And he wouldn't allow him to drink the water or eat the fruit. And it was literally right in front of him the whole time. Greek mythology had a bunch of bad punishments, but like tantalize is like, have this thing right in front of you. You can't do it. That's where that term comes from. And so he said, I thought of how the gods had punished tantalus. What if this whole excursion thing was just a to tantalize? Like it's right in front of you, but you can't ever actually get solid enough in order to walk. He continues and he keeps thinking about the nature of this world and how scary it is. What if one of those flies flew into his face because the fly is like solid and real and like a pebble? And what if it flies into his face? Can you imagine how much a mosquito bite would hurt in heaven? What that would be like? (laughs) He didn't say mosquito bite. That's my Texas version of this. And so with no clear plan in mind, he keeps walking and he sees a ghost hobbling across the clearing as quickly as it could on the uneasy soil. And so all of a sudden he sees the sound of feet and one of the bright people, one of the solid people came into sight and the ghost is making no noise, right? Because there's no impact on the environment because the ghost is barely there in any real physical sense. And the ghost is terrified. Go away, it says. Can't you see that I want to be alone? And the solid one, the solid soul in my way of thinking about this says, but you need help. I can imagine the terrified sense of the narrator and of this other ghost thinking this whole thing's a lie. This whole thing's crazy. They're just here to punish me. It has got to occur to everyone there. What if I can't stay? What if this is just a joke? What if this is a nasty trick? And the solid people are going, but, but you need help. But it's not really the kind of thing where I'm not here to punish you. I'm trying to help you. So I was thinking we have a cat that's almost come to our house. My wife's trying it's to- It's almost come to your house? Well, no, there's a cat outside. My wife is trying to like bring it into our home or like kind of keep an outdoor cat. And so like we put out <laughs> milk for the cat last night and there's this like little bowl of saucer of milk thing, right? Because we're trying to entice the cat. But every time we come near it, the cat scampers away. Cat clearly wants the milk, but is terrified of us. That's what I think this moment is for them. I don't know why, but I had this image of like a cat who's like looking for a home and like, 
I'll be your home. Like, come on, it's going to be great here. But it's too terrified to actually accept it. This is where when I was reading and actually at the very end of the last chapter, when he said, you want to come with me? The analogy you told me one time about crabs in a bucket. Oh, yeah. When these people, particularly in the last chapter, the guy was so miserable in his in-between state that he just assumed people would want to come back. So crabs in a bucket is this whole approach where you only need a lid on a, on a bucket of crabs if you have one crab. If you have two crabs or more than two crabs, they'll keep pulling each other back in the bucket because one crab can kind of like climb its way out. But if you have multiple crabs, they will literally pull you back into the bucket so that you don't need a lid on a bucket of crabs because they will keep each other down in the pit. There's this like desire among the people to just, ah, just come back with me. We'll come back yeah. to Graytown. It's a lot easier there. I don't want you to have something good if I'm going back to Graytown. I feel like there's a medieval painting of what you just described with people, like trying to hold people. Actually, I think it's called Judgment Day. It's in the Sistine Chapel. The coolest painting in the Sistine Chapel is not on the ceiling. It's actually against the back wall. And it's a painting called Judgment Day that is precisely that. It is like this journey from hell to heaven. And it does feel like things are dragging you back. Other demons and other people. Michelangelo drew it. It's in the Sistine Chapel. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so back to the storyline. The ghost is really irritated because the ghost can't walk fast enough to get away from the spirit. And here's the invitation from the spirit to actually choose what's good. He says, it'll soon come right. Don't worry about the fact you can't walk fast or that the grass is like spikes. That'll soon come right. But you're going in the wrong direction. It's back there to the mountains you need to go. You can lean on me all the way. I can't absolutely carry you, but you need have almost no weight on your feet and it will hurt less every step. Okay, I got a question. Shoot. When I was reading this, I noticed for the first time, and I realized it had been happening, but I didn't notice it till now, that Carrie used in italics. Hmm. And so then I went back, I was like, oh, there are more? And so I'm curious at what you think, because if you go back and look, there's other things that they've put and italics that I didn't know if you knew why there was emphasis on that or, or if this is just another ploy by him to throw us off and confuse us in his book. I think it's mostly <laughs> emphasis. The four words on this page is carry anything this and through that are italicized. And so I think it's about how you say it. I can't absolutely carry you or can't you understand anything? Because this is really the, the fear of the ghost in this particular moment is I can't go out there like this. It's like the emphasis of where it's supposed to be. It's like I can't absolutely carry you. We'll pay attention to that as we go and see if that's – I can't wait to hear your, your accent right. as we move forward too. Well, particularly because the next chapter we have a Scottish guy. <laughs> next chapter we have a Scottish guy and my wife's only instruction is don't pretend to be Scottish in the podcast. So. Scottish. Oh, man. For, but Forrest's wife didn't give him any such That's injunctions. Right. So, can't you understand anything? Do you suppose I'm going to go out there among all these people like this? Emphasis. Great on this. emphasis. Thank you. But why not? I'd never have come at all if I'd known you were going to be dressed like that. And the response is, friend, I'm not dressed at all. If you remember, the description of the solid people is some are clothed, some are naked, but the clothed is not like hiding the body and the naked doesn't feel like sensual. It's like this ageless, timeless, clothed and disrobed nature that they have. And what she's mostly afraid of, what this ghost is mostly afraid of is, but I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed I didn't automatically go to heaven. I'm embarrassed that I'm in this ghostly place. And he goes, oh, I see. 
But we're all a bit ghostly when we first arrived, you know. That'll wear off. Just come out and try. Oh, I missed one of the italics. So here's the ghost saying, it's far worse than going out with nothing on would have been on an earth. Have everyone staring through me? (laughs) Emphasis on the through. And the response is, oh, but that's no big deal. That'll wear off. Just come out and try. But they'll see me. Well, what does it matter if they do? I'd rather die. And my favorite response in the entire book is, but you've died already. Like, why are you afraid of something that has literally already happened to you? There's no good trying to go back to the bad. And the ghost made a sound, something between a sob and a snarl. I wish I had never been born, it said. What are we born for? For infinite happiness. I figured that would be your favorite response. Well, sure. But the, like, you've died already is snarky and funny. But the true answer is, what are we born for? And the response is, for infinite happiness. You can step into it at any moment. I think that's the bit that we have a hard time finding out that we have a hard time discovering. Last chapter, you got the guy who thinks that he knows that it's all propaganda and doesn't understand because he doesn't want to actually try it, doesn't want to actually go all the way. He thinks that all the happiness is actually a con job. It's a lie. It's propaganda. It's advertising. When the ghost is going, actually, the true story is the advertising doesn't get at how great the place it is that you could go to. You don't even understand how much better this place actually is. I wonder for you, Forrester, for me in our lives, how many times have we chosen something less than infinite happiness because it just feels easier? Maybe that's every moment. Yeah, I was going to (laughs) say every moment. (laughs) Okay, I had this experience when I was little when I would be frustrated or mad at something. And I remember there's a particular instance where we had just moved into our first two-story house. I was probably in eighth grade and I threw a fit. It was probably over nothing important, but like I decided to throw a temper tantrum as an eighth grader, which is not pretty for anyone, but an eighth grader is particularly like pathetic. You're a little old for the temper tantrum. A little old for the temper tantrum. And I went and I had it and I went to my room and no one came and got me. My parents were like, well, he's going to deal with that. Like they decided not to come and be like, oh, it's okay. Like they didn't give in to my temper tantrum. Yeah. I used to air quotes, run away from home in my neighborhood and go hide somewhere and nobody would come looking for me. And then what happens? Like you're then (laughs) out there in the middle of nowhere or whatever. You're like 300 yards away or something like that. I was hiding behind the neighbor's house. Yeah. That's right. Staring at your house going, don't they love me? Why aren't they coming to get me? I was in my room going, well, this is boring. My own temper tantrum was actually pathetic and boring. And there were fun people downstairs hanging out and having fun. And I had to like choose a different path. And this doesn't stop. I say it sometimes to people I work with. And when I see them going into something and they've got their principles about what, you know, what is right. But then the rest of the room, like if they just not give up, you know, their core values, but like if they would just adjust a few of their principled things, they could have happiness because the rest of the room would all agree and we'd go forward. And, you know, you say, would you rather be right or would you rather be happy? And they're like, hmm. And a lot of times we choose right because we don't want to give up that, which is ours. So, but this is a conversation you and I have had a lot at work and others. I think that's even a false choice because like this moment right here, being happy is actually right. If you're opposed to what God designs for you and your principles, and you need to shift those principles in order to be kind of who God wants you to be, maybe your principles are wrong. 
maybe you need to actually choose not your own temper tantrum. Like a lot of times I think when we think, well, I'm standing on principle, actually we're just being pathetic and throwing our own temper tantrum. Now there are principles, there are moments. I don't disagree with that. Like we're about to get next chapter into purgatory. And like this moment reminds me of Martin Luther. Here I stand, I can do no other. Like, I think there are some moments to like have a stand, a principled stand. Most of the times or many times, at least in my life, it's me not wanting to admit that I'm wrong. Like when I'm in a fight with my bride, my wife, and I have to acknowledge that I was wrong, I don't want to say that. Maybe I'm the only husband who doesn't want to say that. Yeah, I always say that. You always say that straight up? (laughs) Here's the response from the infinite happiness. You can step into it any moment. And the ghost replies, but I tell you, they'll see me. See, by the way, is also italicized. See, I think it's just an emphasis thing for us. And the response of the solid person is this, an hour hence and you will not care. A day hence and you will laugh at it. Don't you remember on earth there were things too hot to touch with your finger, but you could drink them all right? Shame is like that. If you will accept it, if you will drink the cup to the bottom, you will find it very nourishing, but try to do anything else with it and it scalds. There are these moments that I have when I messed up in eighth grade and threw a temper tantrum if you actually get over whatever that temper tantrum was and you go back down and you go, I'm sorry, that was pathetic. That moment's horrible. A minute later, it's not that big a deal. Two minutes later, you laugh at it. It's that kind of reality. So it's not like here's principled people that are unhappy and unprincipled people that are happy. It's if you actually care about what God wants you to care about, you can be both right and happy. There's a moment where the ghost seems to give into it. So the ghost responds, you really mean? And then paused. My suspense was strained up to the height. I felt that my own destiny hung on her reply. I like that framework. You'll also notice that the language shifted from it to her right there because she gave a moment of responding to it. There was a moment where she could have chosen happiness. You know, after the last chapter where you got this guy saying there's actually no choice, You've got this woman on the precipice of choosing my own destiny. My own ability to choose heaven over hell is hung up in whether or not it's even possible. The spirit says, yes, come and try. But suddenly it cried out, no, I can't. I tell you, I can't. The ghost freaks out, says, please, please go away. And the spirit tries something really fun and really interesting. He says, could you only for a moment fix your mind on something, not yourself? And so he calls up. (laughs) That's like, that's right. He calls up the coolest site. Like I would pay good money to be able to see this thing. She basically says no. Oh, she says no. She's like, no, I cannot fix my mind on anything but myself, which is most of us. Yeah. And then the spirit set his horn to his lips and blew. The earth seemed to shake. The whole wood trembled. And I suppose there must have been a pause after that before I heard the thudding of hooves far off at first, but already nearer than I had well identified it. And soon so near that I began to look about for some place of safety. Before I had found one, the danger was all around us. A herd of unicorns. Unicorns is not what I expected in this moment. So for anyone listening, if you wanted to know if you could read this book to your kids, I would just read this one sentence to your daughters. That's right. And they'll be so happy that you're reading this book. I had to explain to my kid recently that unicorns aren't real. Like that was a really hard moment. I tried to make the like rhinos are real. They're just large <laughs> unicorns, like uh, obese unicorns, but that didn't go very far. 
maybe I can say, well, C.S. Lewis says there will be unicorns in heaven. Maybe that's what I'd go with this. But anyway, a herd of unicorns came thundering through the glades, 27 hands high, the smallest of them, and white as swans, but for the red gleam in the eyes and nostrils and the flashing indigo of their horns. He calls unicorns out. Like, I love this. Like, you've got this woman and the pitch, the like begging of the solid person is, can you for just one moment think of something that isn't yourself? This is like what Major Payne did in that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> right? oh, man. I haven't thought about that movie in forever. That's a horrible you mean, analogy, You mean to take your mind off that? What was it? Well, it's, so what, he was, the kid was sad. And he, Major Payne was the movie where he like, like people were getting shot or whatever. And he was like, you want me to take your mind off it until he breaks their finger? Yeah. Yeah, that's a horrible analogy for this. <laughs> that's, that's similar. It's an similar. analogy. You heard it here. Major Payne found in The Great Divorce. That's right. But the idea that you could actually take your mind off something is actually exactly right. What does it take for you in those moments of tantrum, in those moments where you throw a fit, where you're wrong, where you're ashamed, where you're humiliated, where you're embarrassed? The only remedy is to think of literally anything but your shame, your embarrassment, all the rest of it. You need something else to fix your eyes on. One thing I thought about in this part was I've had some very vivid God moments in my life Okay, that some I asked for and some I didn't. And for that split second, you know, my mind is off of me, I believe, but literally the next split second is back on me, you know, and then it fades like everything else. Like, that's what I was thinking at this, like you could run a herd of unicorns in front of me today. And I bet a year from now, I'm still doing some of the, Foolish things. Foolish things that I'm, I don't know. That's why I love this book and need to reread it regularly is because I am that person who's ashamed or embarrassed of something. And if I would drink it to the bottom, just like acknowledge the shame, drink it to the bottom, I would not only be okay with it, I'd be able to laugh about it. But you're right. We so easily revert to the mean, the average of our life. and. I would hope that a herd of unicorns would get me out of my reality, except here's my deal. Like, so someone asked me this about the miracles of the old Testament, right? Like how could the Israelites not follow God after they walked across on dry land? And there's literally God as a pillar of fire and a, and a, and a cloud of smoke. How in the world could they not have just stayed true? And I think you wouldn't, I wouldn't. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, think of just the most amazing things you've seen in your life that you're looking at and there's only one way that actually happened. And then that night you go home and argue with your wife about something. That's right. (laughs) Well, it's like you see Niagara Falls or you just are in the middle of nowhere and you see the stars at night or you see a child be born. Like those moments where you like, oh, this can't get better. This is a miracle. This is unbelievable. This is the equivalent of a herd of unicorns. Yep. And the next day you're whining and throwing another fit. Yeah when we don't have to. And next chapter, we get to be introduced to our guide, to someone who's going to walk through the rest of the book with us, who's going to explain some of what we've talked about a little bit, but in very clear terms. So next chapter is going to be interesting. I hope you check it out because I think it allows for us a way to understand how we can actually choose infinite happiness today. I got no place, but I know just why I'm here. 